Hello and welcome. My name is Jeanette Murray. I'm the channel manager at Corning, and I'll be your co-host for today's podcast. Our topic today is Adherent Cell Culture Scale-Up. We'll discuss how to choose the optimal scale-up platform for maximizing your cell production while minimizing footprint and process time. I'll be joined today by Dr. Chris Suarez, our Field Applications Manager at Corning Life Sciences. Chris received his PhD in Medicinal Chemistry and Molecular Pharmacology from Purdue University working on viral production, cell line engineering, and cancer biology. He's held positions in academia focusing on translational research to overcome mechanisms of therapeutic resistance in breast and prostate cancer. Today, Chris works extensively with process development groups to optimize production capabilities in cellular scale-up conditions from viral production to cellular therapeutics. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. Thank you so much for having me, Jeanette. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Corning has a diverse portfolio of vessels for adherent cell culture, but when designing an adherent seed train, what are the first steps you would recommend when working with your customers? What are some of the most important factors they should be considering? Yeah, so, so those are all great questions, Jeanette. So here, I think one of the first things that I, I always talk about with customers, um, it touches on a lot of those points. So the first steps when working with customers to kind of design adherent seed trains, one is just to get an idea for what are the goals, right? Kind of working almost to understand, you know, is it a target cell number? First, what is your end goal as far as product? Are you producing virus? Are you actually trying to collect the cells? So just generally having those talking points will help to guide um, for the appropriate vessel design choices, um, surfaces, and, and the other factors that you mentioned, you know, things that you want to consider as you're going from small scale to maybe large um, scale and even connecting with intermediate scale um, vessel design. So one of the first things there, um, again, looking at what is your end goal, right? And kind of starting to work backwards from that end goal to design this, the complementary seed train, right? And so I think one of your questions was, why is the surface so important during that seed train design? And I would say this is a really important topic as those customers and as, as you know, researchers are looking for um, consistency during that scale up process. And so what I mean by that is that Corning offers a diverse portfolio of surfaces across their vessels, right? So if you take that example I mentioned earlier, where you look at what is that terminal vessel? So oftentimes I recommend that we start there, right? So if it's gonna be a hyperstack or a cell cube or a cell stack, look at the offerings for the surfaces there, and that will kind of set the tone for what your vessels are gonna be in that seed train, because we want you to be as consistent as possible when choosing those surfaces on each and every vessel, right? So if, if you say, hey, hyperstack, we have untreated and cell bind treated options, right? And so if we start there, that will kind of give you those two, two surfaces to work with. And then working backwards, you can really piece together, say it's gonna be cell bind, then you're gonna to wanna to make sure that those vessels you're choosing are cell bind um, consistent from the T flask all the way up until your hyper flask or hyper stack um, vessel, right? And so start with choosing the seed train vessel, right? That's going to be your terminal, work backwards, determining, you know, which surfaces are going to be optimal. Now, the important thing in doing that, right, is that before you really dive in, you're going to want to test and optimize that surface or 
even if you're considering multiple surfaces, right? You can do that at the small scale, right? So you can use your T-Flask platform to optimize the surfaces that you're considering, right? So you could do those side by side. So, so again, say that you were considering HyperStack. You might take an untreated surface in a T-Flask and also a cell bind treated T-Flask and really work to understand the cell kinetics, right? So the attachment timing and also the detachment kinetics if you're going to harvest the cells, even production, right? So you can mimic all of that in the small scale flasks and you're gonna wanna do that you know, at the small scale and as you go to the intermediate scale and again, one more time in your final scale vessel um, and that's kind of how that entire thing would come together. So I think those are the most important initial factors that customers should be considering um, as they're designing that adherent seed train. Thank you so much for that. So as some of our listeners may know, Corning has developed unique technologies for cell culture scale up. Hyper technology is one such example. What are some of the benefits associated with using either hyperflask or hyperstack cell culture vessels? Yeah, so that's a great question. Kind of, you know, I used that hyperstack scale up example in the previous um, response. So I would say the hyper technology is very popular for for several reasons, and I'll, I'll describe those. You know, what that technology looks like and, and kind of why it's popular. So the technology itself allows you to create a very compact vessel, right? So I'll start with the hyperflask. That hyperflask vessel um, does rely on a very thin layer of polystyrene. And that thin layer of polystyrene, it's the same polystyrene that you would have in a standard, say, T75 flask, right? The difference is that T75 flask is much thicker layer of polystyrene. And what we've done with the hyperflask design and the hyperstack is that this very thin polystyrene allows gas permeability. And this is built into every layer of the stacked vessel design, regardless of whether it's a hyper flask vessel or a hyper stack vessel. And so that gas permeable membrane, that same polystyrene is gonna allow much more homogeneous gas exchange to occur in our hyper technology, right? And so the benefits there are that you have more homogeneous gas exchange in between every layer of those stacked vessels, right? And again, whether it's a hyper flask or the larger hyper stack, this really gives added benefit for the cells that are being um, subjected to that passive gassing when these vessels are placed inside of an incubator. Now, the reason it's popular, right? I think I talked about the technology there, but the popularity is really the ability to have a very similar footprint of these vessels. But now you're able with this stacked vessel approach to save a lot of space um, in the incubator and a lot of process timing. So if customers find that hyper-technology is right for their process, where would you recommend they start the process of testing? Yeah, that's also a, a great question, right? Because in the previous response, I talked about both hyper-flask, hyper-stack. And so I think, you know, based on what we were talking about, the importance of surfaces and then kind of making that leap into the hyper-technology, um, where I would recommend that, that customers start when they're considering moving into the hyper-technology would be at the hyper-flask level. Right? And so again, consistent on the, the surface response, you have an untreated option or a cell bind treated option. Um, but if you're considering that, one of the things, again, going back to your T-flask as your reference, you can definitely test out those surfaces on a T-flask and do that side by side. Um, and so I think the reason the hyperflask is that next step up, again, it's smaller, it's kind of the scaled down model of our hyper stack. 
Um, but the added benefit here is that you have a single hyper flask that's going to replace the equivalent of 10 T175 flasks. So much larger surface area, right? So you're able to, to use a vessel that has 1,720 square centimeters of surface area, but it's in the same footprint of a T175 flask, right? And so I would recommend that people start there and really work out again, attachment and, and cell harvesting kinetic timing, right? With your dissociation reagent, um, you can do that in the hyper flask. Now, the benefits, as I mentioned previously as well, is that you're going to have the space savings and being in that smaller footprint. Um, and so I think this is a nice um, stepping off point to consider the hyper technology. Now, the added benefit here, again, using the hyper flask, not only the space savings in the incubator, but the workflow efficiency is going to allow you to save a lot of process time, um, you know, utilizing the biosafety cabinet. And so this can really be helpful when you have, you know, shared resources, there may be multiple people that are working in the same biosafety cabinet and you have to reserve time, be efficient with your, your use of that biosafety cabinet. Um, or for those that are just looking to reduce overall process times for their cell culture workflow. And so what I mean by that, if you're, you know, manipulating multiple T flasks, right? So the equivalent I told you of 10 T175 flasks, there's a lot of manipulations to open and close during the seeding steps, right? When you're adding the cells, when you're doing media exchange, uh, buffer exchange, adding dissociation reagent, and then the harvesting steps um, from multiple vessels. This is all gonna be reduced when you move to that first, you know, hyper flask vessel with the, the multiple layers. Um, and again, you're just manipulating that single vessel which is going to replace those operations in the 10 T175 flask. Okay, great. If a customer has been using the hyper flask and would like to transition to the larger hyper stack vessels, what would that transition look like and what would they need to consider? Yeah, I think that's, you know, I, I mentioned the hyper flask um, in that previous response. So I think this is often a very common workflow where somebody who's been using the hyper flask or they're considering Hey, that's been working, but I'm, I'm looking to maybe scale up to that next size vessel. And so I think one of the first things to consider when looking at, you know, moving from say a hyper flask to a hyper stack is that you're moving from an open system configuration in the hyper flask to a closed system configuration in the hyper stack. And so what I mean by that is with the hyper flask, those manipulations are going to be done inside the hood. So you still have a cap based design on that flask where you're going to remove the cap, you know, fill the vessel completely in the hyper flask. Um, that's kind of the workflow of that vessel. Now with the hyper stack off the shelf, the hyper stack comes as a closed system vessel. And that means that you're utilizing tubing and medical plastic couplers or MPCs. And these are used to make your connections to your filling and or your collection vessels. Right. And so that workflow right from the beginning is going to be different, right? You're going to notice that the design of the hyper stack, off the shelf is going to have tubing, you know, pure fit clamps and these medical plastic couplers, right? And so these medical plastic couplers or MPCs, these are going to allow you to make a connection or a disconnection, but that has to be done inside of a biosafety cabinet. Okay. So just like you're working with the hyper flask inside of the biosafety cabinet, you're going to make or break these MPC connections in a biosafety cabinet. But once you've done that, I think one of the, the nice things about moving into a hyper stack or a closed system workflow is that once you've made the MPC connections, you're now free to take that vessel and the attached accessories outside of the biosafety cabinet 
and continue working, right? And that's gonna still maintain sterility, but it's also gonna free up that, that biosafety cabinet space and make manipulations in this larger hyper stack vessel a lot easier, right? And so one of the things also right, to consider is surface consistency, right? So I think this is nice. And we talked about hyper flask and that transition to hyper stack. The nice thing there is that we're consistent in the offerings we have across all of our hyper technology. So you've already optimized the kinetics and the timing for the hyper flask. One of the nice things about transitioning to hyper stack is that you're gonna be able to already have some of those numbers as a starting place to look at the kinetics um, that you've optimized in the hyper flask when you're considering moving to the hyper stack. Now, one thing to be aware of too um, is considering the importance in, in stepping up to the hyper stack vessel this is a larger vessel. So that vessel was designed in the same footprint of our cell stack vessel. Um, so this is larger than the hyper flask. And so with that increase in stacked vessels, you know, in an 18,000 square centimeter vessel, such as the hyper stack 36, you're going to want to consider pre-warming the media and or the vessel when you're going to move into the larger hyper stack size. And so because of that stacked layer design on the hyper stack, that importance of pre-warming the media again and or the vessel prior to doing your seeding, your media exchange or your harvesting steps um, is gonna become more important, right? So whereas in the hyper flask, it's a smaller vessel, right? The equivalent of a T175. Of course, you still wanna pre-warm the media and everything you know, that, that's associated with those steps, but this becomes even more important when you're considering the size of the hyper stack vessel, right? And one of the things that you can consider there is that if you're not pre-warming that vessel, right, or the media, is that those cells will take a longer period of time for everything to come to temperature at 37 degrees inside of the incubator. Now, with that increase in time, those cells will need to have a longer equilibration period before they're able to, you know, begin producing, you know, if they're producing a protein product or a virus, um, that's gonna take a little bit longer time, or if it's just an expansion step, there's also going to be that equilibration period um, where those cells are going to take a little longer as they're being warmed up in that incubator. So that's why we definitely recommend, you know, when you're considering moving from hyperflask to hyperstack, you have to consider, you know, accounting for um, that time and pre-warming strategy for your process. Thank you. Thank you for that. So you mentioned closed system with the hyperstack. What's the importance of utilizing closed systems and does that aid your upstream process design? Yeah, also a great question. So one of the things here with, you know, using the, the closed system, so it definitely aids the process design strategy for upstream um, adherent cell culture. And, and why that is, right? So the importance here for closed systems as part of that process design strategy, this is gonna help to mitigate risk for contamination, right? That's really important when you're increasing, you know, to the hyper stack or even a large stacked vessel platform that offers, you know, not only the, the increased surface area, right? So our hyper stack 12, for example, is 6,000 6, square centimeters surface area. And I previously mentioned our hyper stack 36 is 18,000 square centimeters surface area. Now with the stacked vessel design, that's why we offer closed systems as an off the shelf product, right? Because we know that it's really important that when you're working with this large surface areas, as much as possible, you wanna mitigate that risk for contamination. 
And so that allows us to do that with these closed system, you know, design principles we're using on these vessels. Now, in addition, right, to the importance of, of kind of mitigating that risk for contamination, it's also important for closed system design to reduce overall process timing. And so what I mean specifically there is that utilizing these closed systems allows you to incorporate tubing manifolds that can be connected to multiple vessels. So this gets more into kind of a, a discussion based on scaling out. So I mentioned, you know, scaling up to the larger, you know, hyperflask to say the hyperstack transition we just talked about. But now if you need much larger quantity of surface area, having closed systems allows you to start incorporating things such as tubing manifolds, right? And so the same medical plastic couplers or MPCs can be built out in tubing manifolds. And those tubing manifolds can be adapted to connect to multiple hyperstack vessels, okay? And so when you're doing that, so one tubing manifold that we have for a standard off-the-shelf product allows us to connect, say, up to five hyperstack 36 vessels. Now, the advantage of reducing process timing is that once you've made those connections, again, you can take all of those vessels outside of the hood once everything is closed and all the medical plastic couplers are connected, and then you can fill all of those vessels in parallel. What that's gonna allow is a reduction in the amount of time that would be required if you were doing these as individual vessels, right? And so this will greatly increase your, your ability to kind of work through and be, you know, much higher rate of processing vessels. Um, and again, even beyond five. So you can connect multiple manifolds together, um, you know, put up to 15 potential vessels on the same set of tubing manifolds and fill them all in parallel. Um, so again, this is, is one huge advantage, you know, not only for mitigating risk of contamination, but overall reducing your process timing. So since closed systems utilize different types of connectors, what are some of the factors you need to consider when choosing accessories that will complement your vessel? So, so I think this is really important as well. So in the beginning, we talked about, you know, choosing the appropriate vessel to design your seed train. Um, if that terminal seed train involves something like a hyperstack, right, and you get into this closed system workflow, um, one of the things to be aware of, I've, I've talked up to this point a lot about the medical plastic couplers or MPCs, um, but once you decide on your preferred connection type, right, regardless of whether it's an MPC or a different style known as like an aseptic style connector, you're going to want to be aware that these connector options are going to have to be available on your accessory vessels, right? That you're going to be attaching or detaching um, to your, your, your vessel that you're using to culture the cells, right? So in the, in the example of a hyperstack, off the shelf, it comes with those NPCs. So say that that was your preferred you know, route to, to design your seed train you would want to make sure that all the accessory vessels, right? Not just the, the, the bag or the, the vessel that you would be using to inoculate the hyperstack, but anything you're going to be doing along that entire workflow, right? So if you're doing a media exchange, um, if you're doing, you know, a certain type of sampling and you wanted to pull a certain sample out, or you're going to collect all that media and do analysis, um, even down to your harvest bag, right? At the end of, of you collecting maybe the cells or the viral product, you're gonna to wanna to make sure that you have the appropriate connectors on each one of those vessels that's gonna be connected to the hyperstack throughout your entire process, right? And so that's really important. And again, we talked about the MPCs, 
but there are also different you know types of connectors um, aseptic style connectors that would allow you to work outside of the biosafety cabinet um, and then even beyond that if it's not a connector type there definitely is the ability to do tube welding or tube sealing and i think that takes on yet even another layer of, of you know consideration and so if you're doing tube welding you would also want to consider for closed systems the composition of that tubing and so what i mean there there are certain you know, tubing compositions that are gonna allow you to do the, the welding operations. And that's oftentimes a thermoplastic elastomer or a TPE material. And this is gonna be, again, something that's important that you're assessing. Again, with the HyperStack, you can do welding. We have the TPE-based material, but you're gonna to wanna to make sure that those accessories that you're using to connect to the HyperStack are compatible with the right tubing composition. And then along with the composition, you also have to make sure that the tubing size and the inner diameter and outer diameter are an exact match. Right? So if you're going to do welding based on the IDOD, which is a 3 8 inner diameter and a 5 8 outer diameter on our hyperstack vessels, you would have to have the exact same uh, inner diameter and outer diameter tubing size for the accessory vessels that you plan to either weld on or off of the hyperstack. And I think those are the main, you know, considerations for closed system connections um, when you're you're looking to complement your your vessel. Thanks. So, so once customers have successfully scaled up to the hyperstack, what other factors uh, do they need to consider if they want to scale out? Great question as well. So the hyper flask, the hyperstack transition we talked about. Um, so that kind of scaling up question. And oftentimes, you know, I touch on this a little bit too with the closed system advantage of having tubing manifolds. So I would think that, you know, once you've done your scale up very quickly, you can start to address that question to scale out, right? You, you get familiar with that transition from hyperflask to hyperstack. And then you say, you know, I've got a project that's going to require much more surface area or a larger number of cells. Um, so the factors to consider there, I would say, number one is that tubing manifold approach. So if you have to scale out, you know, and this is utilizing four or five, or like I said, maybe even upwards of 20 and sometimes 40 hyperstack 36s, tubing manifolds can be a really big advantage, right? Because this allows you to have, you know, on a single manifold up to five hyperstacks connected. Um, and, and to, again, cut down a lot of that processing time while mitigating risk for contamination, this really allows you to scale out efficiently, right? And I also mentioned that you can link together several tubing manifolds so again, beyond, you know, that target of five hyperstacks on a single manifold, you know, we often refer to, I would say a common configuration is an E-based configuration. So following kind of the, the shape of a letter E, you would have, you know, three potential tubing manifolds connected to five hyperstacks each, and then have a manifold that runs down and connects to each of those three individual manifolds, right? So kind of making an E formation um, where you're able to have three levels of hyperstacks on different height shelves. And you can fill, again, all of those vessels in parallel, right? And so as you're looking to scale out, um, considering the size of the accessory vessels is also gonna become important because you can imagine that scenario I just described where you're filling, you know, say 12 to maybe 15 Hyperstack 36s on three different layer levels of shelves. Now, just like we talked about the companion accessory vessels that you're going to be, you know, using to inoculate this, the hyperstacks, um, you're going to be collecting the virus or the cells themselves. 
those are also going to have to be scaled up and out accordingly, right? So whereas before in a HyperStack 36, you're looking at 3.9 liters of media to completely fill that vessel. Now you're scaling out to several vessels, right? And so you're going to have to scale up either, you know, that bag or the vessel you're using to fill all of those HyperStacks and make sure that you've got that built into your process as well. So you've talked a lot about hyper technology. Are there other platforms customers should be aware of from Corning? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we focused a lot on that hyper technology, but there's, you know, and I mentioned at one point that the hyper stacks were based off of a um, kind of in the same footprint of a cell stack vessel. And that gives you an idea, right? The cell stacks are also utilized very frequently in this adherent seed train um, scale up and scale out strategy. And so cell stacks can be used, you know, to, to scale um, up or out into the hyper stacks. So I would say that those are, are very compatible vessels. Uh, one of the things I would say that's really exciting is that we've got a new technology that allows automated or manipulation of both the cell stack and the hyper stack vessels. This allows complete 3D movement for each one of the steps because there are specific manipulations for filling, seating, kind of rocking and making sure that you've got consistent seating across the vessels um, and even through to the harvesting steps. So our automated manipulator technology allows us to not only utilize six cell stack tens in a rack, we can also do six hyper stack 36s um, and then also three cell stack 40. And they've each got their own unique rack configuration specific to those vessels. Um, so I would say, you know, those vessels are, are routinely used kind of as workhorse vessels when you're doing um, adherent scale up and scale out. And so the advantage of the manipulator technology, again, is having very precise movements that are now automated, right? Where you can put these precision angles in throughout all the steps of your process. And so not only for the initial seeding, right, and doing this at a, a larger scale, I mentioned the six cell stack 10s or six hyper stack 36s. So again, this is all gonna be done on that manipulator, but fast forward to, you know, post uh, expansion of the cells or, or production of the virus product. Now you're able to use that manipulator to again, help to optimize the harvesting process for multiple vessels at the same time. So a lot of times this, can be a manual process, but with this type of technology, it allows you to be much more efficient um, in, in optimizing that um, final harvesting step. And so the 3D manipulation that's available here does allow for a more complete um, movement and manipulation of the vessels. And that's gonna lead to optimization of cell harvest from you know, either cell stacks or the hyper stack vessels that, that fit into this platform. And there, right, it's kind of building on that, you asked about other platforms customers should be aware of. I would say the CellCube platform is something that's recently been, you know, updated and kind of revamped. So that platform now is going to give customers an option to work in a perfusion-based system. These updates that we've made are going to allow integration of process characterization with sensor technology. This is going to decrease your overall time to optimization for cell expansion. And the nice thing here is that's at both the process development and the manufacturing scale, right? So we've added the ability to kind of have pH dissolved oxygen sensors um, that will help really optimize that expansion. And again, scalability here is that you're able to move from that process development 
straight through to manufacturing with different size vessels, right? So the cell cube platform itself, we have a 10 layer option, 25, and at the manufacturing scale, a 100 layer um, option in this platform. So that really does facilitate, you know, scaling up and scaling out. And again, the transition from, you know, a smaller number of vessels or smaller target at the PD that easily translates into manufacturing scale um, expansion. Thank you for that. that. That's great information. So it sounds like Corning has a lot of products and technologies to support um, scaling up and scaling out. Um, my last question is about service. What types of services or support does Corning offer for customers who are looking to design their upstream bioprocess platform? One of the things that, that Corning does offer, uh, and, and this is really can be a, a big advantage to customers looking to do um, the scaling up, scaling out questions that we've talked about today for their upstream bioprocess platforms, is that we've got teams of, of field application scientists. So, so my team helps um, you know, address a lot of those questions that are gonna come up routinely in these, question, in these uh, types of seed train planning um, events. We also have biofarm specialists. They're gonna be able to support um, customers with designing and fitting the correct platforms. Some of those accessory vessels, if you need something that's you know, maybe not your standard off the shelf, um, we can help to really work together between our field applications team and our biofarm specialists to tailor your um, needs for vessels and the different accessories to your specific space and the applications that you're trying to accomplish. Right. And so what I mean there, this, this can include everything from the initial consult. So, you know, we can talk about the different vessels. We're also well aware of, you know, the off the shelf offerings. And if you need to consider something that may be more custom to your process, whether that's, you know, a custom tubing, I talked about the importance of the composition of the tubing, the IDOD, making sure that you have the right compatible accessory vessels. Our teams can really work together to make sure that we are meeting all of the needs and checking all the boxes that you have when you're designing that seed train. And now it can be at the very beginning of that seed train design. We can come in at, at any point, right? So even if you've been working with a specific seed train and your project has changed and you just want to know, hey, is there something we can do to reduce the process timing um, associated with the scale up and scale out? We can absolutely do that consultant based you know, approach as well where we fit um, specific you know, requirements uh, and tailor those to your needs. Now, as the travel restrictions ease and things are opening back up, like the FAST team, we definitely prefer to be more hands-on. Um, and so what we offer as part of that service, right, when you're considering things like cell stack, the manipulator, um, cell cube platform, any of these platforms, that can be involving the training aspect, right? So if you've got, you know, a couple people all the way to large scale teams of manufacturing um, that are doing work and this may be new, um, or if you just want, you know, training as part of that standard, um, you know, kind of workflow, we offer that as part of the uh, field application scientist team um, services. So we can train you on the equipment, we can, you know, give you the background and also the hands-on operations components for these uh, different stack vessels. Now, even if we're unable to provide support and you can't, you know, you're not able to have us on site, um, we've been working to provide virtual support. So that could be, you know, with, with videos that we're able to share and, and show you some of the, the manipulations that may be required with these vessels, um, live streaming from our applications lab. Um, again, we're really working to, to, to do our best to make sure that you're equipped for success um, when you're scaling up and scaling out. 
Um, and even there, right, again, beyond the training component, the field applications team can offer live run support um, when you're prepared to, you know, do your initial pilot run or even a production run. Um, and so that's one of the things where we can be a, an extra set of eyes. If you're new to that workflow or say you're doing that transition where, you know, you may have been using hyperstacks for a while, but you're moving into a manifolded process, right? And it's the first time that you're doing either, it, it could be even a wet lab run, right? Where you want some of your, your operators to experience what it's like to do their first live wet run. Um, the field application team can support that. Again, it's kind of that extension of that training. And our overall goal is just to make sure that the customers are successful um, when they're deciding these, these different factors and building out their, their adherency training. Well, thank you. It was great to hear about the new products and the support being offered to help ensure success for customers designing their upstream bioprocess workflows. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jeanette. Really appreciate the time. To learn more about the products discussed during this podcast, visit thomassai.com or contact your local Thomas sales representative. Thank you for listening.